0: My name is Craig, it's so exciting to be able to bring God's Word to you on this Father's Day Sunday. I'm excited that we get to dig into uh, God's Word and to hear what He has to say to us. Now, when it comes to hearing messages and to preaching, there are obviously things that we enjoy hearing about more often. There are some topics and messages that are inspiring and they fill us with joy. But sometimes we come to stories and passages in scripture that are maybe a little bit heavier. Uh, They don't really inspire us, but convict us. They're harder to kind of wrestle through. But the great thing about God's word is that through all of it, we grow and we are transformed more into the likeness of Christ. And so we need the joyful, inspiring passages, but we also need the harder, more convicting passages to help shape and form us. And so that is what is going to be happening today. And I want to just preface you up front that this is going to be a harder passage that we are going to look at today. But I'm excited about what it will mean for us as individuals and how we connect with the Lord. The series we're doing is called Worship in the Midst of. And what we're doing is we are looking at the life of David. This incredible Old Testament figure that was defined and he was labeled as being a man after God's own heart. That through everything that he went through, the highs, the lows, the trials, the victories, the ups and the downs, everything that he did he connected it back to the Lord. We can see how he engaged in prayer and worship through everything that he did. From when he was a little shepherd boy to the killing of Goliath to be anointed king to then being uh, chased by the king at the time, Saul, where he was in hiding, to then being king over all of Israel through that entire season and his entire life, he worshipped God and we have the Psalms which he wrote most or written mostly by him where we get to see how the history, his life, his story, the historical events are um, written and how he engages with the things of the Lord with the Psalms. How he worshipped and wrote poems reflecting on his experiences and engaging with his Saviour. So that is again what we're going to do. So uh, turn with me to Psalm 51. We're going to be looking at Psalm 51 in this message. But to give some historical context to that, you will find the historical events of Psalm 51 in 2 Samuel 11 and 12. We're not going to go there because there's a lot of text. So I'm just going to briefly share with you what has been happening. But I encourage you, go and read that for yourself and see what happened fully in that story. The Psalms that David wrote are uh, kind of portioned into two main categories. We've been looking at some of them over the past few weeks called the Psalms of the Outlaw. That's when David was hunted by Saul. He was in hiding. He was on the run. There was a very difficult season for him. But that was only a temporary season for him. And God has um, brought David to a place where he is now king over Israel. And so for the remainder of the series, we are going to be looking at Psalms that fall into this season of his life, which we call the Psalms of the King. Obviously, they were written, while David was king over Israel. He had issues while he was an outlaw. And he obviously had issues while he was king. And so what happens in 2 Samuel 11, it really just starts off. Well, it was the season that kings go to war. David stayed in Jerusalem. His soldiers, his officers, they're out fighting. David is in Jerusalem And one evening he goes out for a walk, and while he's on the roof, he sees a lady bathing. He sees that she's very beautiful, and David makes maybe the biggest mistake of his life. What happens here is just a a whole downward spiral of events for King David. He sees her, he inquires about her, finds out that her name is Bathsheba her husband is all fighting for david but he takes her into the palace and he has an affair with her he sends her home and then he gets word from her that she has fallen pregnant so now david needs to cover his tracks so he brings her husband back from the front so that he would maybe come home and then obviously soldier been away reunited with his wife then it would look as though he has made his wife pregnant Bathsheba's husband Uriah is a man of honor and because he alone is home and other soldiers are not he decides to sleep outside so that he doesn't spend the night with his wife now David can't put the pregnancy on him and so Uh, He has to go further down this road that he started to walk where he writes a letter to the commander of his armies to put Uriah front and center of the battle. Meaning that when they charge, there's a strong chance that Uriah is going to be killed. And this happens. The next time they engage in battle, Bathsheba's husband is running up first and he doesn't survive. And so Bathsheba goes into mourning and then David takes Bathsheba as his wife. Now, what happens during this time is God sends a prophet to David. We see this in the Old Testament is when kings sin and do not follow the word of the Lord. God would send a prophet to the nation of Israel, to the king, to point out their sin and call them to repentance the prophet Nathan in second Samuel chapter 12 goes to uh, David and he tells David what he has done and calls David to repent. They have it out a bit. And then David realizes exactly what he has done and how he has sinned against the Lord. And so then David writes Psalm 51 as he processes his sin before the Lord as he deals with his confession and his repentance and worships God in his sin. And so what we are going to see shortly in Psalm 51 is how we can worship still in the midst of our sin and how we can go to the Lord and process our actions appropriately with him. But before we do that, I want to just make up a couple of statements about sin, confession, and repentance. This is a tricky thing. This is maybe something that we don't like to talk about, but I just want to give us a couple of statements, some uh, quick points before we dive into Psalm 51. The first statement is this. Confession of sin does not eliminate the consequences of sin. Right? The confession of sin does not eliminate The consequences of sin. What I mean by this is when we look at the life of David, David confesses his sin. He repents. He receives full forgiveness of his sin. But this decision, what he did with Uriah and Bathsheba, affected him for the rest of his life. We might come to a place where we confess our sin. We repent to the Lord. We repent to people. But because of our sin and what we have done... We might be left with the consequences for the rest of our lives. The reality is when we sin, we affect people. So if you have had an affair and you come clean and you confess, the consequences of that sin is that your spouse might decide that they don't want to stay in a marriage with you. And you can't hold them and hold that against them for the way that your sin has damaged that relationship. You would receive full forgiveness from the Lord if it's genuine confession and repentance. But there are lingering consequences that will persist for the rest of your life. And so we need to be aware that some sin carries consequences that are going to be with us for the rest of our lives. Statement number two is temptation isn't sin. Okay, so sin is sin. Temptation is temptation. And we mustn't confuse the two because we even know that Jesus went into the desert and he was tempted for uh, a significant period of time and yet was without sin. Okay, how do I know when I've moved from temptation to sin? Well, the answer is pretty simple is I think you probably know when you have moved from temptation into sin. But some simple guidelines, for example, is a second look uh, dwelling on thoughts, a lingering pattern of behavior uh, is uh, going to be when you have moved from temptation into sin. And that's why when Jesus teaches the disciples how to pray, he says, lead us not into temptation and developing a proactive approach, which we will also see in Psalm 51. Then another just statement around confession and sin. And this is a very important one. Confession of sin is always helpful. But to whom you confess might not be. All right. Let's just say that one again: Confession of sin is always helpful, but whom to whom you confess to might not be well what do I mean by this? For example, if you are a teenager or a young adult, don't go confess your sin to someone of the opposite gender. In fact, as a good rule of thumb, don't confess your sin to someone of the opposite gender. What that is going to lead to is uh, emotional dependence. It's very, very unhelpful. If you uh, have a a sexual addiction like pornography, just uh, you might be chewed up by the guilt and going to your wife and just getting it off your chest and saying, love or honey, you know, I need to share with you," you. You know, that might not be the most helpful person to be the primary person or the first person that you confess this to. Because that could cause significant pain and potential damage to your relationship. There will be a time when you would need to confess to your spouse, especially in sexual sin. But it might not be helpful to do that straight away. There would need to be a process through which you would need to walk to help both you and your spouse to hear that information and journey with that. Which is why we've got the Journey Programme. And uh, again, you can contact myself or Steve or one of the other elders to really help you if that is something that you need to do. And just the, the final thing before we dive into Psalm 51 is recognizing the tension of sin. See, we are called to be holy. One of the things Jesus says is be holy as I'm holy. We're called to walk in the light as he is in the light. We are called to increasing measures of holiness through the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. We know and celebrate the victory of Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross in our place for our sin, death, shame, all of that stuff. But the tension that remains is that Jesus has not yet returned. And so what that means for us is the power of sin has been destroyed by the work of Jesus. But the presence of sin remains until the return of Jesus when he makes all things new. And so while we pursue holiness, we live in the tension that sin is still present. And while I'm not a slave to sin, sin is not my master. I still have the choice to engage in sin. And I'm still presented with multiple opportunities every day to sin that's why Paul in Romans 7 writes I see this at war within me there are things that I want to do that I don't do and there are things that I don't do that I I want to do and he, he is caught up and wrapped up in this tension of sin and it's for this reason that I'm not surprised that David fell into sin because we all fall into sin even though We are followers of Jesus Christ and we've come to faith in Him and we know what we're supposed to be doing. And this tension remains that for us as believers, until He comes again, we are going to be living in the tension that the power of sin has gone from my life, but the presence of sin remains. And I am going to be needing to process and deal with what happens when I step into or fall into sin. Not an excuse reality i pursue holiness david would have said he pursued holiness but he fell into sin i have in my life had to come before the lord and deal with issues of sin and you are going to as well and so how do we do that and so we're going to see david's confession and repentance of his sin with Bathsheba and uriah confession and repentance is me owning up to my sin before the lord and people and repenting of it and that means a turning away the word repenting is i was going in one direction and i've turned and i've gone another direction it's a leaving of that now again because of the tension of sin and we understand that some sin can be an addiction and a habitual thing and it's going to be harder To break that cycle. But most of us probably struggle. With a hollow confession. Because we'd say the words. God I'm sorry for my sin. But behavior never changes. And hopefully we're going to see in the text. What it means to have a proper posture of confession and repentance. So that we do move away from sin. And always go on the path of Greater holiness, being more and more like Jesus Christ in all that we do. So, Psalm 51. And we're going to start at verse 1. It says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity and all of my sin. So now David is in a a really difficult spot. He's done all of this. He's caused the death of Uriah. He had an affair, made a woman pregnant. And uh, he is confronted by the prophet Nathan. God actually had to send a prophet to David to call out his sin. Now with something as big as this, maybe you can remember a time in your life where you had to own up to something or you were caught out in doing something wrong those can be very scary daunting moments and and it can bring out a whole wave of emotions like even like fight flight or freezes you want to like rebel against it no i didn't to deny or even kind of just like brush off and go well that's fine just deal with it what can often happen is being paralyzed by the weights. Of what we've done. When we realize the consequences of our actions. And we actually don't know how to start a conversation with someone around our sin. Now what we see here with David. And this is why I love how he's called a man after God's own heart. Because he knows something about God his father in his confession here. You see most of us have terrible Uh, have had terrible experiences of our earthly fathers and what we sometimes do is project our image of our earthly father onto our heavenly father instead of projecting our heavenly father onto our earthly father so and so we sometimes think of god as this angry god with a big stick or a belt and he's just going to lash out at us because we messed up again and we failed again but david isn't paralyzed by his sin and he's not Um, afraid to come before the father and if you listen to these words this first verse the words that come out of his mouth when he starts this prayer of confession and repentance is have mercy on me O god according to your unfailing love guys we can have real hard emotional conversations with god We can come before him and lay it all bare. One he knows already. It's foolishness to hide from him. But we can engage with him on our sin because he is a God of all mercy. And his love never fails. You you know, my kids get up to some pretty mischievous stuff. They can behave quite naughty sometimes. And there have been occasions where I have been really angry at what they have done. But even when they've done something naughty and that kind of hurts or even gotten themselves into a tricky situation. You know, the other day they were messing around and Edith got stuck in a tree. Now, I didn't leave her there. I came quickly because I love her. And so I got her out the tree and, you know, we dealt with the situation. But the reality is there's nothing that my children can do that would stop them being my children. How much more is God's mercy and unfailing love for us? Again, this is never an excuse for us to sin but it is a big reason to not allow us to be paralyzed in our sin or to be flippant about our sin or to try and maybe be passive aggressive towards God and and pretend that it doesn't exist and just hope that it goes away. No, we can step into God's mercy and unfailing love and deal appropriately with our sin and we can confess fully to him and deal with our issues Knowing that he hears us. Knowing that he loves us. Not this God with the big stick. But this God who is a merciful, unfailing, loving God. Then it goes on in verse 3. And this is very important as we read verse 3 and 4. And again, this sets a huge tone for david and will set the tone for us so he's just stepped into god's mercy he's just stepped into god's unfailing love and then verse three for i know my transgressions and my sin is always before me verse four is so important against you you only have i sinned and done what is evil in your sight so you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge and verse 4 is so important against you. And you only have our sin. Now, of course, David has sinned against Bathsheba. He's sinned against Uriah. He's sinned against all the people of Israel in what he did. But he acknowledges that God is holy. And so when we sin against people, we sin against the Lord. When we sin against ourselves, we're also sinning against the Lord. When we sin, we sin against him. And so we need to confess to him when we have sinned and this is so important when we think about it because this postures ourselves properly we're going before the creator of the universe and acknowledging god i have fallen short i've sinned against you so i repent and confess to you you are holy you have called me to be holy and so i confess to you That doesn't absolve us from not needing to confess to other people. We need to do that as well. But always, first and foremost, we need to acknowledge that when we sin, we sin against the holy God. And so that is an important thing for us to do. Then from verse 7. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me. And I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide my face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit away from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me here we see uh, a meaningful prayerful attitude of repentance here's what it looks like so step one david has stepped into the mercy and unfailing love of god he has appropriately acknowledged that he sinned against the lord that his sin was against him but now here's the repentance side of things He says, create in me a pure heart, O God. He is wanting to walk away from his behavior. He's talking about being restored, having the joy of his salvation restored to him. That joy returns after this weight of going, God, I've sinned against you, but make me clean, make me new, create in me a new spirit. You know, sustain me, grant me a steadfast spirit. I don't want to be like this anymore, God this person who messed up, I don't want to stay here as I've confessed to you and to you only that I have sinned. God, return to me joy and and, and a willing spirit to sustain me as I walk away from this behavior, as I walk into holiness, as I walk into the new life that you've called for me. God, help me do this. Don't, Don't cast me away. Just renew me, restore me, grant me a willing, steadfast spirit so that I can live and walk in the way that you want me to. So important as we see what this looks like. Because again, I mentioned this, Jesus taught the disciples to pray. This is proactive. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. This proactive thing. God, help me. Do what you need to do in my life so that I can break free from the sin. I don't want to go back to this. I don't want to stay this way. I want my life to honor you in all things. The final bit that we're going to look at here again, which is just so helpful to see the proper posture of a repentant heart before the Lord. Verse 16 and 17. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. Verse 17, My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. What is he talking about here? Well, David is king in Israel. There's the temple and the high priest. And at this time, they were operating in the sacrificial system. If you sinned, you would need to make an appropriate sacrifice. Something would need to die in place for your sin. You would offer up a lamb, a pair of doves. You would go to the temple and make a sacrifice. And what was happening uh, is the high priest once a year would do on the day of atonement. He would make a sacrifice for all people in the very presence of the Lord. But what David is saying is, is you do not delight in sacrifice or I will bring it. What you do delight in is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. That word contrite, a synonym is repentful, uh, remorseful. What David is saying here is, God, if I just bring a lamb or some doves, but my heart isn't broken for what I've done before you, it's worthless. You don't delight in worthless sacrifices that mean nothing to the person making the sacrifice what you delight in is realizing god you are holy i am not i have messed up god i I am sinful i have sinned against you my heart is broken god i repent this contrite repentant heart that is what god delights in it's not saying he's wanting us to grovel and beg for forgiveness at his feet but it's a posture of this holy god And people, us who are called to be like him. And what he delights in is us going and saying, God, I have sinned. I need your mercy. I repent. I confess. God, help me. Restore me. Holy Spirit, transform me. I want to. I want to honor you with everything. And again, this is why I think David is called a man after God's own heart. When he is confronted with his sin, there is genuine confession. His heart is broken. His heart is contrite. His posture is, I have really messed up. And so I really repent. It's genuine. There's nothing hollow about his words. And so Psalm 51 gives us a really good template. For us to be able to engage in an genuine confession and repentance of sin and this is far more than just a prayer of going oh god i sinned again please forgive me i was angry you know forgive me you know this is helping us get our hearts into the place where they are broken and contrite because there we receive genuine forgiveness because our prayer is genuine that's really important so a couple of things as we wrap up I want to encourage you, this might be the first time that you have ever engaged in a prayer like this. If we're online and so there is an option for you if you're on our platform to click the prayer tab and someone from our prayer team will reach out to you. If you have never prayed a prayer of confession and repentance before, my prayer is today would be the day that you do it. As I was saying, someone will contact you from our prayer team if you would desire help to facilitate you doing this. Remember, God doesn't have a big stick. He's a God of mercy and unfailing love. And so we will receive His grace and His mercy when we come before Him with a broken and contrite heart. And then because this is a Father's Day Sunday, you know, dads, maybe just to challenge you specifically, maybe this is a big step that you can make in your faith walking with your family. Because I don't know what's going on in your life and where you're at with your spouse ex-spouse with your kids your own parents maybe as a father this is something that you could lead your family in today maybe a massive gift that you could give your family is a confession and repentance of things that you have maybe failed in your family and, and maybe how you have been treating them If there is someone that you haven't spoken to in a long time, maybe your children don't have a great relationship with you. Maybe this Father's Day you can start and initiate the conversation where you confess and repent of your sin to them. Maybe you need to confess and repent to your spouse. Maybe it's to some work colleagues. But that could be an incredible gift that you give this Father's Day is to come before them and the Lord in confession and repentance. And again, we are so thankful this Father's Day for our Heavenly Father who gave His Son Jesus in our place on the cross for our sins. And when He cried out, it is finished, and the veil that separated us from His presence in the Holy of Holies was torn and removed so that we could step into that place where sin was confessed. So that we know that we can come into the presence of the Father and confess our sin. Don't hold back on this. We have got everything we need to grow and worship God through our sin. And processing our sin before him. As we seek confession and genuine repentance. So that we can continue being holy as he is holy. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, if it was not for Jesus and his work, we would have no hope. There would be no chance for forgiveness. We would always be failing you. But thankfully, with Jesus, we have the forgiveness of sins. And so my encouragement is that, Holy Spirit, you would enable everyone hearing this to step into your mercy and unfailing love and process their sin maybe in a way that they never have before that you would take us to places where we have broken, contrite hearts so that our prayers would not be hollow but genuinely for you and so that we could live repentant lives and be pursuing and growing in our holiness. God, I also want to pray for anybody who is struggling because they need to confess to people. God, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give them the courage and the strength of heart to do that. And you're almighty, all-powerful, all saving name